podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning. If you're new with us, we are, we're, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're going to continue our walk through the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. What we do as Anthem, as, as a church, is we take one book of the Bible typically, and we just walk through it. In Galatians, we've been talking about freedom. What does that look like? And, and so as you take your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, I would, I would love to get you a Bible. So we have Bibles um, out on, at Info Central, that table between the banners on your way in. So, so be sure that you stop by there if you don't have a Bible. But what we've been talking through, a little bit of review, what we've been talking through in this book is uh, Paul, the author, he's writing to this, this group of churches, this region where, where these people, he, is, he has gone through this region before, he's preached the gospel to him, he's told them about Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus made for them on the, on the cross to take their sins upon him, and, and, and so therefore they can be reconciled with God, and they've believed that, and they've accepted that, and they've started living for that. But, but when Paul went on to, to, to go to other places, other people came in, these people called Judaizers, they came in, and they, and they preached a different message. They said, hey, that's great that you've believed in Jesus. That's great that you have Jesus, but, but you need more than just Jesus. You need, you need more than that. And we've talked, uh, we've talked in the past few weeks about they, their message was you have to have Jesus plus. You have to have Jesus plus law. You have to have Jesus plus Judaism. You, and you can't just go to God. Right? You have to have Jesus plus something. And what Paul says here is he says, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. We've said that quite a few times. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. The reality is it's Jesus alone that saves. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus alone that saves us. And the question I believe that, that we see in our passage this morning is what does it mean to be saved, though? What does that mean? What does it mean to be saved? I, I think that if you ask people what it means to be saved, lots of times you get, you get different, different answers like, like it's, you know, to be saved, to be saved by God, to be saved by Jesus means that we, that we stop doing bad things, right? To be saved by Jesus, to be saved by God means that we stop hanging out with those kinds of people or we, we commit to try really, really, really hard to be better, and, and that's something I believed when I was growing up, when I was a kid, uh, junior high, around, around about in there. Um, I, I basically said, you know what, I'm not going to follow God anymore because what I believed about being saved was that, um, in a nutshell, it meant you didn't have fun anymore, right? To be saved meant you just give up on fun. And, and I think that, that that's a, again, that's a message that you hear in people's vocabulary as they say things like, you know, when, when I get a little bit older, when, when I get my life in order, that's when I'll get serious about God, right? When I, I was talking to a young man uh, quite a while ago, and he was saying how, you know, I, I know this isn't the way I should live, but it's the way I'm going to live for now. And when I get older, then I'll stop doing these things. When I get older, then I'll, then I'll go back to church. When I get older, then I'll stop having fun and I'll get serious about God. God and Christian, I guess. See, the, the mindset behind that, is, as Todd taught uh, a couple weeks ago, the mindset behind that is one of religion, right? It, that if I do this much for God, then God will do this much for me. But if I, if I screw up, if I, if I miss the mark, then, then God's not going to save me. He's not going to, to, to be all right with me. 
But the reality is, is that's not what it means to be saved. That's not what it means to put our trust in Jesus alone. And, and what I want you to get this morning, what the, kind of the big idea, it's one that I actually stole from one of our speakers at the conference we went to last week. Because Romans 8 kind of says the same, uh, same things. But what, what I want you to walk away with, if you're a note taker, big idea this morning, is that to be saved by God means that we're adopted by God. To be saved by God means that we're adopted by God. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk just a little bit about the difference that we see in, in the reality of being adopted and this understanding we have about religion that, that looks more like um, being employed by a, a boss that's, he's nice, but at some point, if you keep screwing up, you're going to get fired. This, this reality of, of religion that says, I got to do this much. What is the difference between that and being adopted? To have your, your everything changed, to be, to be adopted means that, that your current standing is changed. It means that your future is changed. It means that you have a new relationship with your new father. And I want to talk about what is the difference with that. And, and again, the framework, what I want you to think about this in is, is to be saved by God means to be adopted by God. Paul starts this, this section we're looking at um, in Verse 27, he says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's stop there. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray for us and pray over this passage. God, I praise you and I thank you once again. Um, I praise you for, for just the goodness of your mercy, and God, I pray that you would help the, the truths of this passage to sink deep, um, be with my words, help them to be clear and concise, and, and um, yeah, just speak to us here this morning, help us to love um, you more when we go out than when we came in, it's in your name, amen. What Paul does here, the first thing I want to I notice that I want to look at is he makes a distinction, right? He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, says, okay, let's, before, before we start talking about save, let's, let's talk about what gets us to that point. And he says, it's to put on Christ. It's to be baptized into Christ. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. And we're going to be able to see that in just a few minutes. Because what baptism is, 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 it's a physical representation of what God does in the lives of hurt and broken people. Right? This, this is just like, this is a cattle trough. I think, I think Stan bought it at the farm store. This is, not like, <laughs> this is not like a holy relic, okay? It actually was getting a leak, so we had to fix it, right? I mean, there's, there's, it's tap water. But what Paul, he makes this distinction. He says the people who go through this, what this represents is, first of all, when, when you go under the water, the idea of baptism, when you go under the water... What you're saying is you're saying, I am aligning myself with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What you're saying is that the death that Jesus died for my sin, the, the death that he died taking on the sin that I committed years ago, the sin that I committed yesterday, and the sin that I will commit, he takes that on himself, and me going under the water what that demonstrates is I am in relationship with him and his death. We see this in Romans 6 three through four, I think I have it up on the screen. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We're saying, look, I am taking on myself. I recognize I'm a sinner, and I am, I am I'm aligning myself with his death. And then what happens as you come up out of the water, because we do let you come up out of the water, right? Sometimes hold down longer than others, just if we need that tap one. No, I'm kidding. But as you bring them up out of the water, what that represents is a resurrected new life. What that represents is, yes, I am dead to my sin, and, and just as Jesus Christ died on the cross and went into the tomb, I am going under the water. But now I am being brought back up into new life with him. Uh, Romans 6, it continues. Romans 6, 4, it continues. It says, we were baptized, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul's making a distinction here, and he's saying, look, guys, I want to drive this home. This is not by the law that you are saved. This is by faith in Christ and us aligning ourselves with his sacrifice and his resurrection, saying, I am dead to my old life, and the life I now live, I live in Christ. Right? He makes this distinction, and he, he goes on to describe that, that those of us who have made this commitment, those of us who would say that, yes, I am dead and I am living in Christ by faith alone, not by works, my identity is now changed, right? Who I am is now changed. He goes on to say there's, there's neither Jew nor Greek. And what he's saying there is he's saying, look, there, there's no cultural boundaries. There's no cultural, like if you were to, what, what the Jewish people of this day would do is they would boast in their Jewishness. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it, right? They would boast in the fact, they would say, well, because of my ethnic heritage, I am more valuable to God. I, am, I have more access to God. I can be saved by God because I'm a Jew. And what the reality is, is they weren't completely wrong in that. If you read through the Old Testament, in Genesis 12, God talks to a man named Abraham. And he tells Abraham, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to show myself to you. Those who you curse, I'm going to curse. And those who you bless, I'm going to bless. And so the, the reality, the idea was that God was showing himself to one person who would become this great nation. But it was never meant to stop there. See, in the time of Paul, in the time of Jesus, the Jewish people said, oh, look, look, we're children of Abraham, and so that means we're children of the blessing because we are, we are ethnically Israelites and Jewish people, therefore we have more access to God because look what it says in Genesis. Look what it says back here. And they would exclude Gentiles, they would exclude Greek people, they would exclude those of us in here who are not Jewish, they would exclude us from approaching God. And yet, what we see in Genesis 12 is God's plan. That wasn't it. It wasn't supposed to stop with the Jews. In Genesis 12, what God says to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you. Some of you are taking perspectives in here, this, this class on missions. Maybe this is familiar. He says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make myself known to you so that you can make me known to everybody else. 
And yet what happens is when we say, well, no, ethnically, you, you have to, this is what the Judaizers were doing in, in, this, in this section, what we read in this letter, they were saying, no, if you want access to God, you have to become Jewish. If you were born outside of that, then that means you have to get circumcised. That means you have to follow the law. And, and Paul says that's not the case. He, he goes on and he says, not only is there, are there no ethnic boundaries or no ethnic boasting, but he goes on to say there's no slave nor free. And what that represents is the social standings of the people in, in Galatia. You see, sometimes I think uh, back, back in this period and even in ours, I think there can be this understanding that, or, or this belief that there's a hierarchy. And sometimes there's, there are hierarchies within, within our society. We see people standing on street corners and we see people who are, who are poor and who don't have what we might have. And I think that there are times where there can be a switch flipped in our brains that we think this, this social hierarchy, the, the people who, who have a lot, are blessed more than, than others. And the people who don't have a lot, they must not be as blessed. They not, they, there must be this, this value system that is represented by, by our material possessions, by our standing within society. And what Paul does all throughout the New Testament is he speaks out against that. And he says, no, don't equate wealth with worth. Don't equate your, your social standings with your standing before God. In, in uh, Ephesians, Paul talks to the, the uh, people who have slaves, and, and this wasn't slavery like in America. This was more like um, employees to employers, and he's talking to them, and he's saying, hey, you better not treat your employees wrong because you have the same master that they have, and that's God, and he's watching what's happening. In, in uh, James 2, 1 through 5, Jesus' brother, he says this, my brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here, a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? What Paul is addressing here is he's saying, look, there's no, there's no social structure that could keep you away from God. If you say, look how much I have, I must be really blessed by God, I must be more valuable. He's saying, no, you can't boast in your social standing. And at the same time, if you would say, I don't have very much, I'm not, I'm not like this person, I'm not like that person, he's saying, no, there's no boundaries when it comes to me. It doesn't matter what your society says about you. Not only does he address this ethnic, these ethnic boundaries and boasting, not only does he address the social boundaries and boasting, but he goes on to, to sexual boundaries and boasting. He says there's no male or female and what he's saying there is he's saying, look, in, in the society of God, there's no second-class citizens. And to understand this completely, we need to understand the, the plight of women in the time of Jesus, in the time of Paul. Um, I read this article on Bible.org that says, in ancient Greece, a respectable woman was not allowed to leave the house unless she was accompanied by a trustworthy male escort. A wife was not permitted to eat or interact with male guests in her husband's home. She had to retire to her women's quarters. Men kept their wives under lock and key, and women had the social status of a slave. Girls were, were largely not allowed to go to school, and when they grew up, they were not allowed to speak in public. Women were considered inferior to men. 
The Greek poets equated women with evil. Remember Pandora and her box? Woman was responsible for unleashing evil on the world. In, in Hebrew society, women couldn't divorce their, their husbands, but husbands could divorce their wives for anything from burning dinner. It seems like that's a, a drastic overreaction, right? It's like, you burnt my grilled cheese. Uh, see ya. I'm getting a new wife. To adultery. And when a woman would receive a divorce, a letter of divorce from their husbands, it was as good as a death penalty or sentencing them to prostitution. There was, a, there was a blessing, a Jewish blessing that was prayed daily by some Jews that went like this. Blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile or non-Jewish or Greek. Blessed be God that he did not make me ignorant or a slave. Blessed be God that he did not make me a woman. See, what, what Paul is doing here is he's, he's stripping these things away. But, but what he's not doing is he, he's not saying, look, there's no gender now. There's no, there's no difference there. You can, we can be gender fluid or there's no roles or anything like that because, because what Paul says here, he's not saying that. He's not saying that, that, that social st- structures are inherently evil. He's not saying that culture is wrong. In fact, I believe what we see in Scripture is that diversity is a beautiful thing to God. And we see that in in Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. See, John, what he's he's recording there is he's recording what it's like in heaven. And what does he say? What does he notice? There's cultures, and people are talking in different languages, and what are they all doing? Worshiping, right? They're they're around the throne of God, and I think what this represents is, is it means that culture is beautiful, and discrimination is evil and wicked. Viewing one race... As, as better than another, viewing one gender as better than another, that's, that's wicked and it's evil. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying there is no racial, no sexual, no social distinctions when it comes to access or value to God. I can't say because I'm a white male who lives in America that I have more access to God than anybody else. I can't boast in that. And at the same time, you, no matter what your standing, no matter what your situation, no matter what your ethnicity, you can't say, well, I have these boundaries between me and God. Paul says, no, you don't. Because it's in Christ. It's not in these identities. It's in this identity that we have in Christ. Think about it this way. I have a few pictures. Who has more access to God, men or women? Who's more valuable to God, the rich or the poor? Who has more access, who is more valuable to God, Americans or Afghanis? Now, all those are, those might be easy. It's like, well, everybody, you just said that. I'm listening. I'm paying attention this morning. Here's a harder one, I think. Who has more access or worth when it comes to God's sight? The man in the black or the man in the orange? See, I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, you guys need to understand that there's no boasting when it comes to God. It's not about what we have done or what we can do 
that gives us access to him. It's not about our ethnicity. It's that Paul was, Paul was a terrorist. The guy who's writing this is a terrorist. To the, he, he persecuted churches. He persecuted Christians. He destroyed families. And yet he is saying, look, we all have access to God. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. So what are your excuses? What are you boasting in? If it's not simply Jesus and Jesus alone, then we're missing it. He, he goes on and he finishes this, this thought and he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. He says, if you are in Christ, then you are in the family of God. You are Abraham's offspring. That means you are in if God has saved you. You've been adopted because of Christ. Think about it this way. I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about this this past week. Like, if you go to the club, like Nathan used to live with us, and we would, we would, <laughs> yeah, we'd ask him all the time, "What are you gonna do tonight?" He said, "Going to the club." <laughs> like, I don't think he ever did, but. But if you go to the club, at least, at least in movies, like when, it, when, you, when you see the club, like I don't, I've never been, like I'm too old. But, but if you go to a club, like what you see in the movies is there's always this bouncer in the doorway, right? This big guy. And he's, he's got this list. I don't know if it's a clipboard or in his head, but uh, he's got these sunglasses on. And, and, and if you're not on the list, you're not getting into the club. And yet people will, will dress up in the movies. They will dress up and they'll be like, okay, I, I want to get in there, right? And so by their own merits, by, by what they wear, by what they have to offer, they'll be like, I should be in there. And yet, yet there's always that line behind the velvet rope in the movies, right? There's always that line where it's like, no, you're not getting in. Because you're not on the list, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you have to offer. If you're not on the list, you're not getting in. Now imagine, right, now imagine if you're in that line and you're like, man, I can't get in, I wore my best clothes, I wore my best, I put on makeup, right, I took a shower, I still can't get in there. But imagine if Justin Timberlake rolls up, right? We all watch the halftime show. And imagine Justin Timberlake rolls up and he's, he's walking up to that, that big guy. I guarantee Justin Timberlake's getting into the club. Right? I, maybe you're like, who's Justin Timberlake? He's, he's a singer as a voice of an angel, right? And he's getting in. But, but in the movies, right, the, these famous people, they always have like an entourage. They always have people following them. And most of the time, in the movies, most of the time, those people who are following them, guess what? They get in. Right? They get in. Why? Why? Because they're with JT, Right? They're with Justin. They get it. Can you imagine? Like, imagine if I was in Justin's entourage, right? Imagine that. I know it's hard, but think about that. Like, if I'm in Justin's entourage and we're rolling up to the club and, like, we're, we're walking up and it's like, yeah, Luke Hedding is in the house. I wore my new suit. Like, I put on deodorant. I am getting into this club. Like, can you imagine how ridiculous that would be? You know, with everybody taking pictures of, of Justin and me thinking that they're there for me and me thinking that I get in because of who I am, because of what I did. In reality, nobody cares about Luke Hedinger. Not when Justin Timberlake's in the house. So that's what Paul is saying in, in a different way. That's what Paul is saying. He's, he's saying, why do you get in? Why do you get in? Because you are in Christ. 
And if you are not in Christ, then you are not in the club. You are not in the family. And if you're trying to boast about anything other than Christ, you're missing it. He goes on to give this illustration. He, he's, he says, this is what I mean in chapter four. He says, this is what I mean. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. He says, let me, let me give you an example. When you're a child, all right, so, so nobody gets to boast. It's not about anything you did. It's not about, not about this identity. To be saved by God means you're adopted by God. Let me give you an example. When, when an heir is a child, the heir, the, the one who is part of the family, the one who, who gets to have all the blessings of the family, when an heir is a child, they're under guardians. They're under managers. Why? Because a child doesn't know what to do with these different things. Especially in this culture, most wealthy families would have a slave or a servant who would take their children around, and the child would not leave the home without the manager, without the tutor, without the guardian. Because they couldn't be trusted. It's like when your kids go to a sleepover. It's like, man, I hope you watch good movies that, that I would approve of, right? And it's like in this culture... They didn't have to worry about that because their manager would go. And if they were trying to watch something, they would just shut that down, right? And, and, they, and so it's like you're under this guardianship, but the reality is, is that you are not an heir. You're just the same as a slave if you live by that, if you try and live by the law, if you try and live by anything other than Jesus, you are enslaved by those things that you live by. You're enslaved by it. It reminds me of when, when I was like 14, I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, what are the details? He couldn't remember either. But, but when I was like 14-ish, my dad bought a, a red 1967 Mustang Fastback. Yeah, right? Somebody whistled. <laughs> you know. You know what that is. I mean, this car was beautiful. It was beautiful. He bought it from this auction, and he comes, he comes driving. And I mean, it, it was this car that had the big, flat, big fat tires. I'm not a car guy, right? But this car was just amazing. We popped the hood, and everything was chromed out. I don't know what it was, but it was chrome, right? It had, it had a big round carburetor on the top. I think it was like a Cleveland carburetor. Don't know what that means. I know it's awesome, right? It was a, it was a V something, and everything... <laughs> Everything was chrome. I mean, it was beautiful. Leather seats. It was beautiful. And my dad told me, he said, Lou, when you turn 16, this car is going to be yours. I was like, oh, 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 right? I was like, let's go. I can remember. I, I just thinking, like, what is it going to be like when I get behind the wheel of this car? What is it going to be like when I get to drive down the streets of Brashear, Missouri, <laughs> in this car? But the reality was that car became this this line for me, like, like at an amusement park. It's like, you can't ride this ride unless you're this tall. Like, I can't do anything to speed up time. I can't do anything to be the, the, the age that I need to be to actually accept this and live in this and, 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 and fully appreciate this. You see, that's what he's saying. He's saying, that's the law. My dad sold that car soon after that, which, you know, that's all right. I'm still going through stuff with that, but that's okay. But that car, it, it was like the law, and the law was, if you, were, if you missed last week, you need to go online and listen to Stan's talk, 
about the law because the law was a diagnostic tool used to show people that, hey, you're broken. You, the, the law says don't lie. The law says don't lust. The law says, says don't do these different things, and yet you can't do it. He says we're enslaved by that, and that's who you were. You were enslaved by those things. You were enslaved by the elementary principles of the world. These people that he's talking to, he's saying, don't go back to slavery because you're free. You're in the family, so don't go back to those things. Don't go back to that because that doesn't save you. He, he goes on and he says, but, he says, that's who you were. You were enslaved, but, but when in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. See, God says, that's who you were. Paul says, let's, let's use this illustration. You were under the law. You were, you were a child, no, no better than a slave. And he's saying, don't go back to slavery because here's what's happened. Jesus Christ, God's only son, was born of a woman just like you were. He was born of a woman, fully human, fully God. And this, he's describing a rescue mission for humanity. Jesus is coming in, and he's, he's coming for you, born of a woman, born under the law. And the reason that's so important is because he did it perfectly when we couldn't. He came into where we were. He didn't just try and save us from a distance. I'm sure God could have, but he didn't just try and save us from a distance. He came into our mess. He came into our brokenness. He came into where we were. And he says, let me help you be who, who I want you to be. Let me bring you into my family. Let me adopt you. It doesn't matter what your past identity is. It doesn't matter what your social standing is. It doesn't matter what you did last night. Let me bring you into a new family. It says he redeemed us. And I was thinking about what does it mean to be redeemed? And, and I, my mind immediately went to Paul Harvey. Right? Anybody know Paul Harvey? No, not know him, but listen to him. All right, some of you, older generation. If you haven't listened to him, I am sorry for you because he's awesome. Um, Paul Harvey told this story. I'm going to tell it, and I'm not going to do it the justice that he does, but I'm going to tell it. Paul Harvey told this story. It says, Boston preacher Dr. S.D. Gordon placed a beat-up, bent, rusted old birdcage beside his pulpit when he told this story. An unkempt, unwashed little lad about 10 years old was coming up the alley swinging this old caved-in bird cage with several tiny birds shivering on the floor of it. The compassionate Dr. Gordon asked the boy where he got the birds. He said he trapped them. Dr. Gordon asked what he was going to do with them. The boy said he was going to play with them and have fun with them. The preacher said, sooner or later, you'll get tired of them. Then what are you going to do with them? The lad said, I have some cats at home. They like birds. I'll feed them to my cats. Dr. Gordon said, son, how much do you want for the birds? The boy, surprised, hesitated and said, mister, you don't want these birds. They're just plain old field birds. They can't even sing. They're ugly. The preacher said, just tell me, how much do you want? Two dollars? To his surprise, Dr. Gordon reached into his pocket and handed the boy two one-dollar bills. The preacher took the cage, and the boy, in a wink, hurried up the alley. In a sheltered crevice between buildings, Dr. Gordon opened the door of the cage and tapping on the rusty exterior, he encouraged the little birds one at a time to find their way out through the narrow door and fly away. Thus, having accounted for the empty 
cage beside his pulpit, the preacher went on to tell what seemed at first like a separate story about how once upon a time Jesus and the devil had engaged in a negotiation. Satan had boasted how he'd baited a trap in Eden's garden and caught himself a world full of people. What are you going to do with all those people in your cage? Jesus wanted to know. The devil said, I'm going to play with them, tease them, make them marry and divorce and fight and kill one another. I'm going to teach them to throw bombs on one another. I'm going to have fun with them. Jesus said, you can't have fun with them forever. When you get tired of playing, what are you going to do with them then? Satan said, damn them. They're no good anyway. Damn them, kill them. Jesus said, how much do you want for them? Satan said, you can't be serious. If I sell them to you, they'll just spit on you. They'll hate you. They'll hit you and beat you. They'll hammer nails into you. They're no good. Jesus said, how much? Satan said, all of your tears and all of your blood, that's the price. Jesus took the cage, paid the price, and opened the door. See, that's what it means to be redeemed. That's what it means to be redeemed, that sin, that, those things that we were enslaved by. It says Jesus came into that, and he paid the price for us. We were enslaved. We were encaged by sin and death. That was our identity. And yet Jesus says, let me save you out of that. Let me pay a price for you. And it says that we might receive adoptions as sons. See, the reality of adoption in, in this culture, it wasn't new, but most, most of the time, for, uh, especially in Greek and Roman culture, they knew it to be adoption like from, from the Caesars, from these rulers. What the rulers would do is they would try and find an heir. And so they would go out and they would adopt someone and they would bring them in and, and that person would then become their heir. This, this was done by, by a whole list of emperors. I could read them off to you, but I'm not going to butcher their names. Right? It, there, there was a whole list of people, and one after another, what they would do is they would go out and bring someone in, and then they would, they would have all of the, the benefits and all of the power and everything that came from being now a, a child of an emperor. That's what it meant in this time period to be, to be adopted. Think about what it means. Think about what it means for us in our time period to be adopted. I can think of, I think of some of our friends, uh, Drew and Melissa Stevenson, who are, who are actually, um, they're in the hospital right now. You can be praying for them. They're, they're little, they just had a, had a baby a, a couple days ago, and he had an open heart surgery, um, and it's been pretty touch and go. So, yes, we need to continue. I'm just going to pray for them right now as I'm thinking about it. God, I pray that you would be with Drew and Melissa. I pray that you would have your hands on little Jude. God, I pray that you would be in that hospital room right now that they would feel your presence, they would feel your goodness. God, be with them, I pray. It's in your name, amen. Drew and Melissa Stevenson, a few years ago, they began to this, the process of adopting kids from the Congo. And Drew and Melissa Stevenson, they, they paid a huge sum of money. They, they filled out mountains of paperwork. They... they they went, they flew over, Drew flew over to the Congo, almost got trapped there because of this corrupt bureaucracy. But then he, he received these children and he brought them home with them and forever they will be legally Stevensons. And it's not because of anything they did. Can you imagine if a child who's up for adoption, can you imagine if they had to put out like an interview tape? Can you imagine that? Like watching a tape, it's like, um, hi there, my name is George. I'm two years old, and uh, my hobbies include playing with a rattle, 
eating soft foods and pooping my pants. Right? Can you imagine that? It's, it's, not, it's not anything that the, the child can do to be adopted. They don't bring anything to the table. And yet the father goes in, the, the family goes in, and they say, I'm going to pay the price for you. I'm going to receive you. And so your old identity, you can leave that behind, and you are now my child. And that term, as sons, that carries implications, cultural implications. What we try and do is we say, well, it needs to be gender neutral. It's not a gender, gender neutral term. It meant that you had all the responsibilities. It meant that you had all the the blessings. It means that you could have the inheritance of the Father. Guys, when when we think about what does it mean to be saved, what does it mean to be to be rescued by God? When when we think in terms of this religion, this law idea. And and then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to approach God out of this. What does that look like? When God, when God becomes more of a boss than, than a father, when, when you, it's like you're being hired rather than being adopted, and when we approach God with that mentality, it's kind of this idea of, okay, well, I'm going to try hard to be good. And God's a good boss, so, so when I screw up, God says, hey, that's okay, try again. Well, okay, I try again, but I still screw up. That's a, hey, that's okay, try again. You're new here, right? Try again. Okay, try again. I still screw up. At what point, if we have that mindset about God, at what point are we going to say, okay, God's just going to give up. It's going to be like, hey, this isn't working. You can't get it. But when we see, when we understand our salvation as an adoption by a loving father, and when that goes from, from being religious to being able to have a relationship with God that cries out, Abba, Father, which means daddy, means dada. That's what Abba means. It's this close relationship that we can have. See, when that changes, it's no longer about what we can do. It's no longer about what we can offer. It's no longer about, oh, I screwed up again. Guys, what that represents, what that, what that means is that God's love is new every morning. When, when we read things that say, live holy as I am holy, be righteous, we can approach God as a father who wants relationship with us, who wants to, to have us continue to grow, who, who wants us to feel the weight of his love and our inheritance as sons. So this morning, my question for you is what does it mean for you to be saved by God? I, I heard once this person say, we will understand our salvation only as far as we understand adoption. Do you have the mindset when it comes to God that, man, I just keep screwing up, and sooner or later, he's going he's gonna to be done with me? Is that your mindset, or is it the mindset that we can approach God by saying, Daddy, with arms outstretched, open wide? We're we're going to take time, what we usually do as a church is we usually take communion. But this morning, what we get to do is we get to, to see this illustration played out. See, my prayer for you is that you would understand God in that way. And what we get to do now is we get to see a couple girls who, who have said, I'm, I want that. I, I have received God. He is my father. He is my daddy. And so I'm going to ask those, those young women to come up, those girls to come up. 
And they're gonna, they're gonna tell us, so what's gonna happen is they're gonna tell us their story of what, it, what this looks like, right? So this is my daughter, Elena Hedinger, and this is Jaden. And so, so what we're gonna do is they're gonna, they're gonna tell us their story, why they wanna get baptized today, and then we're gonna, we're, the band's gonna play, we're gonna work, the way we do baptisms here is, is as, as I said, this is just a cattle trough with tap water, right? It doesn't, it's not magical. This is an illustration. And as, as we go over to the baptismal, the band's gonna play, and we're gonna worship together, and we're gonna celebrate what we're, what we're seeing here. So, uh, Elena, you have the microphone, so you wanna go ahead and start? All right, go for it. I think it's on. Hold it real close to your mouth. Hi, my name is Elena, and I wanna get baptized because when I was younger, I didn't really trust God. He was just there. I didn't trust him because I was in and out of hospitals a lot, and I was mad at him. I was mad because I wasn't healing, and I was mad that he was making my mom and dad scared and sad. But once I got out of the hospital, and I had noticed that my mom was praying more, and God had given her strength, and at that moment, I had realized that God had died for all sins, including my sins. So I want to get baptized because I want to say that God is my Savior and I trust him. Hi, my name is Jaden Wise and I'm almost 11 years old. I want to get baptized because I want to show that I trust, follow, and love God. I want to follow Christ's example. He died and rose again, and baptism shows that I have new life in him. I believe that Jesus died for me, and he wanted to save me from my sin. We are saved by believing that Jesus took the punishment for our sin and gave us new life by rising again. I believe this and asked Jesus to forgive me when I was five years old sometime in the spring. But after that, I thought I needed to accept him every time I sinned. I know now that once you trust him, he'll never leave you. I am forgiven for all eternity, and when God looks at me, he doesn't see my spiritually dead self, but a new, perfect, alive, clean, forgiven self. So today, I'm getting baptized to obey his command. All right. All right, so what we're going to do is the band's going to start playing. We're going we're gonna to go over here, and we're going to baptize these young women. But here's the thing. Like, when they go under the water and they come back up, feel free to cheer, feel free to, to be expressive because this is a beautiful thing. I mean, what these girls just shared is an awesome, incredible thing. That's the gospel, right? That's, that's what it means to be a part of the family of God.